most knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 398. Jason Lingren is with me, and our guest is John J. Singleton. To put it in a nutshell, we're basically going to be covering ideas surrounding your rights, basically medical privacy and informed consent. Welcome, Jason. And good morning. Welcome, John. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you. Appreciate it. John, are you going to allow people to have contact information for you, or will you be showing up in the comments at Crow Triple Seven Radio? Yes, that'd be fine. Do you want to give contact information? If you do it in hour one, the response can be overwhelming. That's fine. We can do that. We have a team set up. Yeah. Okay. What what would you like to drop? A website, an email? Website's the best way to go. The website is T-H-E-Z-U-N-G-A.com. Okay. Do you have an account with Crow 777 Radio? Not that I know of. All right. As soon as we get done, you need to fire off an email to Rose with an email and a username. I will create you an account to ensure that you'll be in comments when this goes live. Okay. Okay. Sure thing. All right. We've got a list of bullets that you've submitted, and we're going to talk about things that I think most people had no idea of, or they chose to forget when words like mandate were thrown at us and all kinds of little clever words. When the fact remained that as we went into the lockdown, as far as I know, not a single law compelling anyone to do anything was ever passed. Do you think that's true? Are you aware of any laws that were passed? That's the whole game. And I've asked everyone what laws have changed. Total silence. None. So just to sum up, I'll, I'll ask you, John, we're, we're, we're a country of laws, right? We don't have to do a damn thing unless there's a law that says we do. Not only that, we're expected to know the law. There it is. And I, I right. guess maybe that's a, a good reason we're about to go down the road we're about to go down, right? <laughs> exactly. What do you want to do, Jason? Do you want to, these are pretty well-written. Do you want to do them verbatim or how do you want to do it? Well, we can take them one by one. I definitely think this first one's a good one to start with. All right, let's do it. Since the announcement of the public health emergency, everyone in the country is regarded as having a disability and everyone is being misclassified as having an impairment. These are the first two prongs of the Americans with Disabilities Act that give everyone the legal right to sue anyone who tries to impose any medical treatment or examination on anyone. All right, we've covered these ideas. Basically, take it away, John. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, Yeah, you're regarded as having a disability. Part of the definition of disability is having a contagious disease. And so if anyone seeks to impose a measure on you, and we're talking about the mask wearing and all these things, the, the vaccine, which is not a vaccine, whatever treatment it is, staying six feet apart, okay, this all has to do with uh, intervention. These are interventions. And therefore, you are regarded as having a disability because you're being treated that way. You're, there was an announcement of a public health emergency, and you've never been diagnosed with it specifically, but then everyone is regarded as. So anyone who's imposing a measure on you or wants to has to prove that you're a direct threat. And there's a scientific process they have to follow. I want to know about that process because we also saw the idea of everybody gets tested or this, or everyone, you know, gets locked out of that. And so there's the question of whether the test is legit. Even the man who made the, what was it called? CPR? I don't know what it's called. Uh, The man who made that test said that it was not intended for the way it's being used, but let's get into that. Right. Carrie Mullins invented the test, the PCR test, polymerase something, I forget, PCR test, but that's not a diagnostic test. I mean, he himself announced that. He's deceased now, so that's interesting. But uh, he he announced that it wasn't intended for diagnostic purposes. And uh, there is no test. I mean, you can't test for something that doesn't exist. If you ask your Department of Health for the documentary evidence of a specimen or culture showing these contagious diseases they claim are floating around killing people exist, there isn't any. Nobody has any. So, uh, right, they, they, how, are they, how are they doing this? You, a medical exam requires the disclosure of your medical history and submitting to a medical procedure. You're not required to do that without informed consent. And what's really interesting is people have to realize we are now in the middle of an emergency use authorization period. You can see it everywhere. FDA declared it. It's in government announcements, everything. So any medical treatment pertaining to this period that has to do with it is, by definition, a clinical study. We, we dealt with this at Nuremberg. You can't force people into a, to participate in a clinical study. Why don't, why don't we get this? The uh, informed consent and your medical privacy are the two most important things here that everything else stems from. And it comes down to this. Everyone has a private and tangible property right to those two things. Your medical privacy is a property right, private property, and so is your right to inform consent. All right. First of all, it's a bit astonishing that the way this was implemented 
was mostly through peer pressure. We've had people that are close to Jason and I had to go to a hospital recently. First thing, you take this test or there's going to be trouble. It's mm-hmm. refused. And they say, okay, we're putting you on the COVID ward. Right. And what's gone on here, as far as I can tell, is we're heading into a time where corporate policy trumps any idea of law. As we pointed out when we opened, nobody seems to be aware of any law that compelled anyone to do anything during this supposed emergency. What in fact happened was all these corporations were directed by places like the CDC, which are not governing bodies. They're not legislative bodies. They're corporations. So a corporation directed a corporation to treat you in the way you've been treated, which is basically peer pressure. If you don't do what we say, then this. And what's odd about that is so many of the people who we talked to said, I had no choice. I was going to lose my job. And what we saw was the people that held their ground did not lose their job. Some were pulled off the schedule, but then put back on. Never did we ever hear the word you're fired. We heard, I'm taking you off the schedule. There's a a break time, all these clever little words. And it showed the malintent because normally if you're going to lose your job, they say, guess what? You're fired. Do you have any insight on what I just laid down? Wow, very good. We have many cases like this where we, you know, we set up a whole a clinic to deal with these things. Uh, so as far as okay, being fired, they don't want to say that. What they want to do is say, "Go home and don't come back, and we're not going to pay you." That's another, you know, that's the definition of being fired. And so what they're trying to do is defeat your cause of action against them for wrongful termination. So yeah, they, falsifying employment records. <laughs> that's number one. Next, attorneys will not be able to help you with any of this as they do not understand the law and most judges do not understand, and those that do pretend that they don't and interfere with people trying to use the court system. John? Yeah, the vast majority is they don't understand the law, and partly it's partly because it was never funded. There's no money in it to understand that. There is money for PI claims, personal injury claims. Uh, there's not money for ADA compliance, and most people have only a layman's understanding of how to apply the ADA. For example, everybody understands that you can't tell a person in a wheelchair that he he can't come in a business or that he has to wear crutches instead. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. You can't tell a blind person, sorry, we can't serve you. We only serve people that can read our website, you know, but no one's ever read the law. So they don't understand that there's disability that requires in some situations, it requires a person other than the, the person having the disability or perceived as having a disability. It requires someone else to meet a burden of proof, like in the employment situation. The employer has to prove that he or she has complied or it's complied with the ADA, showing that it's accepted from the ADA because it had a, it conducted a diagnosis, basically. So, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of depth there regarding disability. And why would an attorney do that case when his only client is going to be somebody who can pay him, a, 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 let's say, a $15,000 retainer? It's not that type of case that you can have on a contingency. So you're not going to have many attorneys that want to take on that type of work. Well, we saw some pretty astonishing things for those of us that are older and remember a country that was at least some semblance of closer to acceptable, uh, like courts closing, Mm -hmm. which I'm not a legal expert, but I'm reasonably sure I remember that everybody has the right to due process and closing a courtroom interferes with that right. Furthermore, we saw a very disturbing trend. We were sent so many videos of people getting their supposed day in court, but it was done through video on Zoom and other things, and their rights were just trampled on. We saw judges muting people, locking them out of being able to have any intercourse with the the proceeding that was going on. And how is that any different from walking into a courtroom and before it starts, someone duct taping mouth shut and putting you in handcuffs and fastening you to a chair? What would you add about that? Well, this is another aspect of what's happening. These are not courts. When you prevent people just from observing the proceeding, all right, and especially in a criminal trial, we have cases right now where people are arrested for you know trespass, which they're not trespassing during normal business hours, and they go to the arraignment and they they don't. I tell them, don't go there by video. Go there in person. Make them let you in the building, and they ordered you to appear there, and then they don't let them in the building. And then they don't allow other people to witness the proceeding, which you know has been throughout history. When you, when you have that, this is not a court. A court is open to the public. You can't tell somebody. I've had personnel in the courtroom, in the in the lobby, tell my clients trying to enter the building, the court's closed right now. <laughs> you know, 
And so nothing that takes place there is, is amounts to anything but a series of words on paper. It's not a court. It almost feels to me as if this carefully calculated world takeover uh, wanted to break the court system. So what they did is they made everything delay. Mm -hmm. So those people out there who did have some semblance of the idea of a law-driven society would try to use the courts, but it would be so backed up. Lord knows when any of that will come to be. And now they're doing Zoom meetings to push it off further and further. And so basically, it feels to me like they've tried to break the system or delay the system until the next shoe drops. And they want us to accept a technocratic type system whereby you submit a pleading or or a remedy request to the court, an application petition complaint. You ask the court for a remedy and they have to conduct this hearing like you would you know, do in the in old days, let's call it, where they show up and argue. Uh, and they want to make it to where at some point there will not be a judge per se. There will be, let's call it a software program that determines who's going to prevail and who has what rights. And I think they'll want that to be available on the blockchain. I think that's what they're leading us to. They're trying to condition us now to kind of give up and say, fine, it's more convenient to call in on a video conference. Thank you for saying the words blockchain. Um, <laughs> I, say, I say so much about the malintent of cryptocurrency and blockchain. I'm still looking for a blockchain expert to show how terribly uh, it's been used. And this is exactly right. As we move to the metaverse, um, the social scores will probably become quite prevalent. Can you imagine when there's a piece of software looking at your social score to determine what happens in a fake court proceeding? Um, it feels like this is where they're pushing forward. So I got to ask, John, how is it that we came uh, basically two years at this point um, where all the people who had a clue didn't take actions to push back or was this going on and it was just never reported or, or let be known? Well, I think people were comfortable. I, I just think, and maybe they don't have the whole picture or they, they don't think about it. But uh, yeah, imagine the blockchain data being tied to your uh, daily activities and they connected to your body by a biometric signature that you can't, from which you cannot escape. That's the goal. I mean, you know, the interesting part of it is they launched the blockchain. When I say they, I'm talking about the U.S. military. They brought in the technology and they, they use, I mean, Google owns MIT basically right now. Okay, It owns all the world's intellectual capital. And so you, you get these bankers that want to preserve their existence and they create the blockchain and they put an application on there called Bitcoin. So everybody gets, starts using it and they put it out there in the geek world, you know, the GitHub world, and the geeks develop it. But this is a military technology and they put it out there to make it look like, you know, the common guy did it. And now they have this weapon that they can use against us. And people don't realize that that dang cell phone you're staring at all day long is a dang weapon. It's making you a drug addict and among other things. It's tracking you. It's collecting every communication you do that isn't person to person and person to person communications down to about 1% for most of us. Right. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And people are not putting together. The strange thing about crypto is it shows how greed, because it's volatile, which first of all should tell you any currency that is volatile is controlled, period. Mm -hmm. It can be manipulated. And people will say, well, that's true of the dollar. And I say, you're damn right. That's true of the dollar. The dollar's a problem. It's a Federal Reserve IOU. So we're going to go from a Federal Reserve IOU to a make-believe electron on the head of a pin somewhere on some server created by a person we don't know. And as you pointed out, the military has been in on all of it, uh, ARPANET, all the things that have come forward. And of course, the Federal Reserve already has in store the digital dollar. And I'll ask a simple question. Has anyone out there ever known the Federal Reserve to tolerate competition? <laughs> yeah. All they got it, you know, it's already regulated and people say, right. no, it's not. We've got all these secret ways to do crypto. No, you don't. You don't. you don't have one single secret way in this world to use crypto because you use the internet highway that belongs to Google mm -hmm. and the other technocracies. They're letting people think they've got freedom to do stuff outside the system. They're making sure that they believe that. It's exactly, it's exactly true. And what's worse is, you know, we've had these legal discussions recently, Jason, that have shown nobody has ownership of anything. Mm -hmm. Holding a right. deed is not ownership. It's you're just the owner. You have the right to use it or maybe take charge of it for a period of time. And we further learned that to own, have ownership over a thing, you have to use specie to make the purchase gold or silver. Why mm -hmm. is that? 
because the creation, God, the creator, whatever you want to say, made the gold or silver, gave us the right as beneficiaries to use it with free will and the divine spark. And still we see people begging to go into the crypt. Yeah. Yeah. It's for convenience. It makes their life more convenient. It's just crazy. Yeah. We're voting for it. We're developing it. It's really not convenient because there's a short, there will be a short period. Well, we've kind of had it where, oh, look, this person made thousands and thousands of coins or they'll call it dollars. And I've seen it. They've made a crap load. The only people I know, and I think Jason just saw this email is a person who follows our show took many thousands of increased value of Bitcoin and he turned it into monster boxes of silver. Mm -hmm. That is the only smart use I've ever seen. But the point comes back when we're a crypto, the day will come when you go to use your money. It says, sorry, you can't buy or purchase today. You didn't renew your driver's license. Sorry, you're supposed to show up at the courtroom video meeting. You can't spend money today. This is where it heads. Or you can't use technology to identify the fact that you have a driver's license because you don't have a phone or if you don't have a phone, you can't have a driver's license. And if you don't have a phone, you can't buy. I mean, it's almost like that now. It is. They're integrating it all. It's going to be one thing soon. Right. There won't be cashiers and there won't be judges and there won't be people. There'll be software programs that you'll never have a remedy. You'll never know who did what. (laughs) Should, Should I drop the big... Jason and I, over the course of running this show, have met people that we never would have had access to or met in the regular walk of life. Should I talk about the AI, the perceived AI date, Jason? Sure. So it is claimed by someone who is in the know and should have a much better idea than most of us by dint of the meetings they can get into, that it is claimed in some of these very upper echelon European meetings that AI will run the entirety of the internet by 2025. There's the claim. Wow. That's probably, uh, yeah, probably right on. Yeah. Now that's the surface web. What about the dark web? <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell you. Because 5% of the web is what everyone interacts with. So I guess that's good enough. But you still got the dark web. It's like 95% of the interaction. Well, that, that's another thing, isn't it? Because when when the majority of people start accessing things that didn't used to get accessed, then that gets enveloped by the control systems. Mm, right. There, there's right. the story of Bitcoin. The early people in, some of them made a ton of money and turned it into fiat or did whatever they did with it. That's another thing that Jason and I have heard. <laughs> there's a certain date where we've been told you better be the hell out of crypto and I'm not going to say the date because I don't remember exactly. It's a January, I think. Is it a January, Jason? Uh, well, January was, of some year. It, it was soon. kind of a rough date. Yeah. I think it was a January of some date, some year soon. Uh, that's close as I'm going to come, but there's more writing on the wall. Anyhow, let's keep moving here, guys. Go ahead, Jason. Once someone is regarded as having a disability, such as a contagious disease, he cannot be forced to submit to or comply with any health control measures, such as the ridiculous ones you see many people practicing today. You know, back at the turn of the 19th century, there was a man named um, Steiner, Rudolf Steiner, who covered their pandemics and their mask wearing and their inoculations of the day. And he basically said exactly what's being said here. What would you add, John? Well, I don't know exactly what he uh, he's explained, but uh, I know that they had. This is not new. This whole uh, this whole scheme has been done like at least a hundred years ago, yep. probably before that. Yeah, and they even had the surgical mask back then. Yep. But yeah, I mean, th- all all they're doing is they're getting people to waive their rights, and then those who don't just get violated, and those that are waiving their rights think it's okay, and then they viol- they help violate the other people's rights. It's pretty clever. Well said. I had a mask on for a total of about 10 minutes during this whole two-year period because I had to get into a dental office and I wasn't in a mood to fight. I needed my tooth fixed. Mm. And the funny thing was, is I waited outside. So I had my mask off. Um, When they called me in, I put it on, walked into the chair. And once you're in the chair, magically, you can take your mask off. So I didn't put it back on to go out, but uh, my rights were violated six ways to Sunday. I was thrown out of places. To this day, there's a little place within a mile of me that I used to love. Those people threw me out. And every time I go in there, when I walk in the door, I say, hey, are you guys allowing fresh air and faces in here today? (laughs) Every time I walk through, I say it and they look at me and look down at the ground, but it's it's a hell of a thing when you turned the population into its own illegal policing system. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, we've had that same situation here. Um, but I could tell you if like for for places like professional services, dentists, hospitals, if I can get you in the door, if you're in the door, like if you were rushed there in an emergency or something like that, and they already have you and they're gonna start taking care of you and they're they're starting to tell you you have to take a COVID test or you have to do this other thing. And so if the client can get me on the phone, I will get them on the phone. I will call up the hospital and talk to the risk manager. Or it's, sometimes it's an event organizer. I've had lots of different cases where doctors are going to events and I'll, I'll contact them and say, how can you try to treat someone who's not been diagnosed with a condition and yet he's in your care and he's already been diagnosed with this other condition, but you're, con- you're making that condition upon him submitting to this other treatment for which you don't have a diagnosis. And then they're like, I, when I, you have to say that to the risk manager, because if you say that to the front desk, their eyes just kind of glaze over, you know? And the last one I did, I, I got the CEO on the phone in the, of the hospital with this chief operating officer. And they, they met my client at the reception's desk and, and walked him in and did the procedure. It was an emergency procedure. This guy was going to die. And they did the procedure uh, without any of this garbage, no mask wearing or anything. Is this what you do for a living? Is this yeah. a thing you provide? So this is now this is now what I do. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh dude, you're gonna get bombed with emails. Well, I, that's why I set up a whole clinic to deal with it. We have you know people trained in this sort of thing. So it took me about a year to set that up. But I didn't even yeah. know. Is it is it common that every you know major hospital has a risk management guy? All of them do. It's all uh, about the money. If you can talk that language, you can get things done. Yeah, 80% of them, I'm able to get them in and get the treatment. We've had people like Jessica Brink and others on who who do nothing but similar to what you're saying. And as soon as you stand up for yourself in the right way, everything changes. We've had people who write a uh, an affidavit going in the door. And what's funny is we've seen normally you go in and you might get 20 people coming and going to deal with you. Once that affidavit right. is in the system, one person. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they can control the action. Now, now we're not playing willy-nilly. This is one person who's going to be very careful so we don't get sued. Yeah. And that's what happened. I noticed here in Florida. I mean, Florida is an easier state to deal with, but on the retail side, back in even when this started, I, I told everybody in March of 2020, I said, guys, this is not ending. This is not 14 days. You're going to be dealing with this for years. And they thought I was nuts. And and so my wife and I, she came back one day, she was crying. And I said, what, what happened? She goes, there's this guy at the door. This guy had a gun. It was like, he was like 350 pounds. And he, he was a big guard. He had a gun and he told her, you can't come in. Now she's like five, one. And she was really intimidated. And she came home crying. In fact, this is actually, she was driving around town, getting ground beef from anywhere she could find it. Cause I was canning it. <laughs> we were canning it like mad people, you know? So she tries to go get some and this happened. So I said, well, okay. You know, we had this happen like maybe 20 or 30 times, and we only picked two retailers to do this to. We sued them, and the case went through court. And then what, here's what they did. They were, we were trying to push it through court for like six months, and finally the, the, the grocer, the attorney, filed a, a notice to the court saying my client changed his policies so that it's giving the plaintiff whatever she wants. It, yeah, but that, it, uh, sorry, in, in a real world, that doesn't change a damn thing. He, the, the violation was already yeah. proffered. We still had a cause of action. And it's one of those things where we're not going to, like, you know, we went to the liquor store one time and they did that to us. And so I'm telling my wife, I said, you know, I could sue the liquor store. I'm like, I'm not going to sue the liquor store. I'll sue the grocery store, but you know, I'm not going to sue Disney World. I don't need to go there. You know, did, did any of your suits go all the way forward or are no, they? No, none of them. All we did was we filed a brief. I filed a brief saying that we breached an agreement and then I, I lectured them on the ADA is <laughs> basically what I did, that they don't have a duty of care in the first place. They can't do any of this stuff because they don't have insurance to do these things, which I'll but share you with changed, your audience. You changed policy. So every other person walking through that yeah. door is now getting, I guess, as close to a fair shake as we can call a fair yeah. shake. That was my point. Now, I two lawsuits did that for, now I'm not sh- saying I'm the guy that did it, but there are some things I know directly related to what I did. Like when Walmart had this maze, you had to walk through this rope thing to get in the front door and they closed all the doors. They locked them all except like a double door on one side of the superstore, right? So that's an easy fire safety violation. So I just wrote a letter to the fire marshal and I said, hey, <laughs> and I got a picture off the internet. I'm not even the actual in my location. I just got one off the internet and I said, look, they're doing this. And next thing I know, everybody in town, like within a week, Target, Walmart, all the big stores, they all had to remove all that crap. They haven't brought it back since. So basically, <laughs> just to sum up in case nobody's paying attention, which apparently for two years, most of us haven't been, is one adult in the room that stands up for what is correct, doesn't even have to go through with the action to get the policy changed, which informs you that first of all, somewhere, somewhere knows that they're violating your rights. Mm -hmm. They're going to do it until somebody squeaks. And then 
I would estimate most of the time there won't even be a lawsuit because once the policy changed, most people will back off. That's right. That's exactly right. One person has to do all the hard work and that's it. And it's not hard. Here's what you do. Now, on a dozen other stores in my neighborhood, I never had a problem with them. I'm not sure if it's because of the letters I wrote, but in the beginning, I wrote letters and I said things like, hey, can I see a copy of your insurance policy that covers me from from, uh, having contracted a contagious disease while on your premises? Well, they don't have an insurance policy for that because they have no new legal duty of care. Therefore, they have no insurable risk. And so no response, but they leave us alone. Or, or I'll write a letter saying, hey, uh, I was in, your, uh, in the grocery store the other week and I, got, I contracted COVID and uh, I need to make an insurance claim. And you see how fast they write you a letter back saying, we're not covered for that. Well, thank you very much for admitting it. Now, what the heck are you doing with this policy? <laughs> if, you're, if you're not insured for it, you don't ha- you're not insured for protecting the public from a contagious disease. And you don't have insurance if someone suffers an adverse health consequence from complying with your dumbass measures. God, it's... Some of these things are so basic and each yeah. of these I'm guessing are policy changers. That does it. When you write to the right, you got to write to the risk manager or chief counsel. The other one is with government agencies like the schools. Now the schools are a different entity. You got to deal with that. I, I don't know. Did the courts, same with the airlines, but a lot of uh, government officials you can deal with like this. You don't have insurance for this. Okay. And you don't have a budget allocation to engage in this conduct. You can't use taxpayer dollars to protect the public from a contagious disease and you're not insured for it. It's like a double whammy on those guys. We've just so you know, John, we have done shows that show you how to deal with schools. We've had, and by the way, it is not that difficult. It just takes a person worth their salt willing to stand in a room. And actually, Jason, I would say in two thirds of the things we've covered, the people who had the nuggets to stand up in there got standing O's at the end of what they did. Right. Yeah, right. well, that's because time has marched on. I think if people were doing this earlier on, it would have been a different point of view. But most people were buying the bullshit, to be blunt about it. But if this had gone on early on, it wouldn't have gone two years because it, well, it's just hard to say. Maybe. It's, it's mind-boggling how long people can be herded. And what are we talking about here, folks? Oh, they changed the policy. You're hearing the words from my lips? Mm-hmm. There's no law. There's nothing that compels us. We're getting a corporate policy changed. It's ridiculous. Anyhow, go ahead, Jason. Now, could this be applied to the airlines and other public transportation organizations? It's perfectly the same exact legal arguments as you would have even with government agencies. So the way it works is the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, sets forth the framework of all the legal requirements for these businesses to operate. They're violating all their duty of care by violating the ADA. But when it comes to federal agencies like the district court system, the federal court or the, a federal office like Customs and Border Patrol, those guys are under the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. However, that is administered under the standards of the ADA. Then you go over to the airlines. The airlines, this is interesting about the airlines. You cannot sue the airline directly. What you have to do is this is a complete a new law under 19, in 1986. It was called the Air Carriers Access Act. And it's the exact word-for-word legal protections as you have under the ADA. They just called the Air, Air Carriers Access Act. In order to make a claim, you have to first, for example, go get a ticket. Then don't participate in any of their nonsense, mask wearing, all that. They're not going to let you go anywhere. You're not going to even get in to get your bags checked in or anything. So then you leave and you have a cause of action. And the cause of action, you have to do this. You have to make a complaint to the uh, complaint resolution officer for the airline. And lots of times they're required by law to have the CRO. Lots of times they'll claim they don't know what you're talking about. It's really amazing. But once you do that, you document it, you send it in writing. Then you have to actually take that same complaint and you send it to the secretary of the Department of Transportation. Oh, there is... Yeah, it gets worse. Now, there is an administrative body that does deal with this beyond the CRO, but the DOT is officially under the regs. That's your next course of action. And the next course of action after that is you cannot sue them in the U.S. District Court for the ACAA violation. No, you have to file a case in the U.S. District Court of Appeals, an original complaint in the appeals court. That's what they did with themselves. Amtrak's even worse. But yeah, that's the airlines for you. Isn't the excuse going to be there's an executive order? Yeah, they, they always say that. And so here's what I, here's my response to that. There's an executive order. There's even an OSHA reg. I had a case the other day. It was an OSHA reg. And I said, let me, I said, here's my, here was my legal argument. Okay. So you have all these regs and, and you have all these executive orders and all this. And you're saying that this creates a legal duty and you could be fined if you don't, if you don't comply. Okay. So how has your insurance risk changed? How has your insurable risk changed? What is your insurance binder? 
that covers you for these things. And we get back to the duty of care, right? It's not insurable. So therefore that's the measure of the fact that we don't have a legal duty of care. But here's the summary of my entire legal argument. Laws don't conflict with each other. So assuming your executive orders and all your, all the nonsense, regs are not laws, by the way, all these things, assuming they even have any force or effect of law, they cannot conflict with the ADA because laws don't conflict with each other. So what's your response now? <laughs> and they, they don't know what to say. Does the ADA have like a society or, you know what I'm getting at, a group of people that are there to do whatever the business of the ADA might be? There are administrative agencies. Normally the ADA is administered through your state's civil rights office or Department of uh, Human Rights, Division of Human Rights. So I would ask, would it be an avenue for people to contact that state office and say, I walk into the streets, I see a thousand ADA violations everywhere I go. Why aren't you doing anything to enforce it? Yes, that would be excellent if more people would do that. But ultimately, it's the Department of Justice. The DOJ has the cause of action, the right, the right of action to, to bring a claim. And it should. It should have brought claims, numerous claims already. But it's pushing this. It's behind it. And you're going to find that your state agencies are corrupt and they're not going to do this because they're getting money to not do this. So you have to do it yourself. Thankfully, there is a private right of action. So you can just sue. But that's the problem. Now what? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mechanic. I'm an expert at that. I'm not an expert at suing people. You know. So this is where we are. It seems like minds like yours and others that we've had on, if they sat down and strategized logically like they were playing a chess game for life, that you could consider some course of action, which is lawful, legal, however the hell you want to say it, uh, that is strategically placed at the most effective point. That's very well said. I, I, that's why I like doing these recordings, these calls, because I want people to know that you don't have to understand the law that well. You just have to understand that you have a right to informed consent. I don't know what that's expressed in some statute, but I just know that I have it. I know that I had a right to choose what kind of underwear I'm going to wear today. I knew what I could choose what kind of toothpaste I had. So therefore I have the right to choose what goes in my body and on my body and you know things like that. So what do I do now? Well, if I go to a grocery store and I'm told that I have to show my vaccine card, well, how do I express that? Well, what's your duty of care? I mean, why would you participate just to get by? I've talked to so many people where, and you know, something my grandmother used to say, you can say anything to anyone if you smile. And actually it works. It really works. And I, I actually go to people that are complete strangers, you know, in the grocery store and the wherever, and it's and not always. And, and they'll be wearing a diaper on their face and I'll say, you know, you look ridiculous with that diaper on your face. And I've had so many great conversations from that. You'd think that somebody would punch me. But can you have that conversation with someone and not know the law? Can you look at the statistics? I mean, who goes to the medical examiner's office and looks at the statistics? You don't have to do that. You should, but you don't. Because there is no, there is no change in the mortality rate. Or if you go look at the actual numbers that the criminals that are doing this are reporting, you have to conclude, wait a minute, even if there is such a thing, the risk is zero. So can I just talk to my friends and my people in my community and say, come on, guys, the risk is zero. You're giving away, you're throwing away rights that people died for, for the last two centuries and just throwing them away. You're just throwing them away to get along. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's all, you know, sometimes when I sit back and I logically work at everything that I've been able to witness firsthand is it becomes very difficult to defend the population with what's been allowed to happen because so few people did anything but said, I have to do this because someone told me to do it. Right. In some ways, we are closer to the idiocracy than I think most of us think. But coming back to it, Jason, I feel like we did four subsection all the way to B. I think subsection C is the only one that we haven't really touched on. Right. Only clinical trials during an EUA period. No one is required to participate. Wow. And that is what we were just talking about. Basically, if you don't even know the law, at least you can read news flashes talking about we're still in an EUA period. Well, that should tell you that any medical treatment recommended re relating to that is, is voluntary, purely voluntary. And you always have the right to know more about it. And you, like if someone said to you, Hey, I want you to participate in a uh, cosmetic testing who do that. I mean, that very few people would do that. And it's a very certain type of person that would do that, but you have to consent to it and you have to openly consent. You have to waive all kinds of claims and things like that. Well, now everyone's participating almost in clinical studies, clinical trials, epidemiological experiments without any reservation at all. But this is where we are. I mean, if you, EUA period basically says anything that's being recommended is a trial. You never, I mean, we, we, we fought a world, world war over this. The whole world said, you know what? It's probably not a good idea to force medical interventions on people and test them for things 
because that's what the Nazis did. You know, they, they actually did some horrible things. In fact, we still have their medical research. Some doctors don't even want to use it because, uh, you know, the morality there. Why are we doing it now? Uh, it's, it's baffling. Uh, there's like a dark spell over the world because yeah. people who probably would have tried to do the right thing, many of them didn't. And I mean, at this point, it's almost arguable now that everybody, and here I walk out now and everyone's, oh, all the COVID stuff is done. It's behind us now. <laughs> and I look them in the eye and say, are you out of your mind? Is that really what you think? We're coming into spring. We've covered the alchemical side of things. We know there's another shoe to drop. We announced months ago that every emergency going forward will be worldwide, like a war somewhere, hint, 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 or things that we can believe in that will ratchet up the fear. But we've gone so far into this. One might ask, is it even possible to expect that we could extract anything back considering how far we've come? That's a really good question. I think things have changed so much. Yeah, we could probably restore some things, but I, I don't think we want to. I think we need to have we need to have local decentralized fabrication of things instead of shipping items from across the country and using the trucking system as a warehouse. Good point. Yeah, I, I think now's the time to make that change. I mean, I know in Florida we're growing tomatoes and oranges and selling them to people in California, and they're doing the same to us. You know, and why can't we take uh, hardware that's in your, let's say, your AC HVAC type facility and scan the parts into files and then print them as we need them. And we can print them with resins. We don't need metals in many, many situations. I can make that in my neighborhood. Yeah. You're jumping into the future. That will be the majority of so many things. Right. By the way, just anyone listening, craftsmanship and how cool it is. That's all out the window. Things become functional. And right. by the way, I had a couple places in my immediate vicinity where I live that never complied when the state was threatening them. And to this day, I go in there, even if I'm just going to talk and I'll tip the owner 20 bucks and say, <laughs> thank you. Never did they put on masks. Never did they bow to the state. You have to tell us what days you're open. There's, you know, I've covered it a few times, but one of the main threats was the fining. Oh, we'll fine you business if you don't abuse the people coming in. So Jason, pick up on number five, please. Business owner's bank account is reroaded using a pass-through and cannot be levied by state agencies, cannot impose fines, even if there are fines. So let me get this straight, John. Uh, many of the businesses that complied were afraid for their business license or being fined, being shut down or fined, right? Right. So this solution is something I've been doing for almost 30 years. And so when I saw this problem, I'm like, okay, well, the gentleman up in New Jersey got his, his gym levied, huge amount of money. And so if he just had a different way of processing his payments, it would never have happened. And he could have literally ignored the, the state's complaint in court. He could have ignored him because the result of that was that they just took his money. Now, this doesn't stop them from coming over there with the cops and, and locking you out physically and, and building a barrier in your door or something or arresting you. But for most businesses, if you have your normal payment processing, here's what we do with the Zunga. We set, we have a business package. So what we do is we document that the business owner and its employees does not have a legal duty of care. So we use the insurance company and then we correspond with the government agency. And I'll tell you how we do that in a second. This is a service that you provide that you're describing. This is, yes, okay. this is exactly what we do. So, so then we, we, uh, we set up a company that handles the payment processing for the business. So let's say you're running a coffee shop or a gym. And so we would set up a pass-through company. It's a technical legal structure that, that allows payments to be processed. And then th that money is set like kind of like escrow. We kind of like set up like escrow. And then that business is able to then pay all its bills and do whatever it normally wants. And so the business itself doesn't even need a bank account anymore. So that way, when the agency goes to levy or impose a fine, it can't take anything. It's just it's just a business, but it doesn't have a bank account that can be levied. It has a bank account, but nothing that can be levied. Wow. Has this been, so you've, has this ever been pushed against or tested in any way? Yes. I've, like I said, I've, I've done like thousands and thousands of those for 30 years. And when they brought this, you know, whole mess over, I thought, well, okay, I got some tools here. I've already tested them. <laughs> There's no question that, and we've, you know, we've never had a problem. And the worst, uh, the worst party that would ever take your money is the IRS. And this is how I learned how to do it. I did it right in front of the IRS. I've been doing it thousands of times and they can't touch the money and they can see it, but they can't touch it. So that goes for the agencies. Now, the other fun thing is when we document the, the fact that the 
business owner doesn't have an, a legal duty of care, we document it with his insurance company because we get confirmation that he's not insured for it. Now you're involved in a business activity for which you don't have insurance. Well, what's the county going to say? What's the state going to say? You know. So we write a letter to those guys. Whoever's contacting our business owner client and says, hey, you have to do this thing. So we write a letter back and say, yeah, we checked. Uh, here's our record of our insurance. We're not covered for this. Would the county be willing to indemnify us? And if it would, please provide us with a copy of your insurance binder and also budget approval. So that way, if we have to make a claim, we know that you'll, you'll be good for it. Freaking genius. That is freaking genius. It's done. It solves the problem. So there's there's, there would be the corporation that's been asked to violate the rights of the population, turning it back on those directing them to violate rights and saying, okay, yep. we're happy to play ball. Uh, where's our insurance and where's the funding? Uh, that, that, uh, that is genius. Go. It kills it. They never respond. Love it. But they leave them alone. <laughs> Love it. That is top notch. All right. So where are we going here? All right. We're going to talk about uh, injunctions, Jason. In one case so far, we created an injunction against the business with a friendly customer so that now the business is under a court order to refuse any of these measures. This pushes the dispute over to the courts so that the agency which tries to impose these on the business cannot contact the business directly, but has to challenge a standing court order instead. We call this a friendly injunction. How does this get implemented? So... Okay, so we have a customer who is, you know, wanting to help us out and uh, the business owner. So he sues the business owner. So we write up all the documents. He files a case in court and, and saying that he wants to sue the business for imposing these measures because they're illegal. He just says it exactly without even any fancy artistic arguments. He just says, I don't want to do it and I want to patronize the business and it's illegal and it violates my rights. And so the business owner files a response saying, I admit having done all these things. And then the customer that we're helping, we create a document that gives the customer a judgment in, in, or a court order. So we make it real easy because there's no opposition, right? So then we now have a court order that expresses all these different reasons why there's a there's a, an injunction in joining the business from complying with any of these state regs or whatever garbage they want to tell you you have to comply with. Now there's a judge over there saying, you can't do it. And now when the OSHA comes in there and says, hey, you have to do this thing, you say, the business owner says, well, I'm sorry, but I'm under a court order. I can't do this. <laughs> wow. Have you, have you pulled this off a number of times? Yeah. We just did it once. We did it once for one business owner, but it's not really necessary. I mean, we've nailed this so hard that they can't get, this is just a backup plan. Now, where I got this from was over the years. Okay. Like I said, I've been doing this for about 30 years. So I deal with financial risk with consumers. And so over the years, what I'll get a client that'll have, let's say $80,000 in credit card debt. He'll have like seven credit cards and things like that. And everybody's going to sue him. They're just going to annihilate him. So what I do is I literally sue him first. I created, I create a case against him for debt. And I, I give all the proper records, everything's done properly. And then I create a, a garnishment against his wages and then I hold it. I don't execute the garnishment. I just hold it there. So what happens is all the other creditors that now sue him for the next two years and eight years and forever, they will never be able to get a wage garnishment against him because mine is always going to be in front of theirs. You can only do one at a time. That's what people don't know. So I've been doing this thousands of times for people to make them uncollectible financially. For businesses, they're a little bit different because I do a reorganization for those guys. But for consumers, that's what I've been doing. So I figured, okay, well, if I create a court order that expresses why a, a business can't do it, which is complying with the law, they, they can't even argue with me anymore. It's already a matter of law. Everything that we've talked about so far in hour one points to a thing that I've claimed is going on on the other side, the people pulling the strings. These stupid monkeys are so lazy that we can get away with whatever we want because none of them will even stand up to defend their own rights. And hearing everything we've just laid down here, how can it be that thousands upon thousands of counties and parishes and townships went through two years of what we just went through when it only took one adult to stand up to do the change? But there's another thing that occurs to me. We've said duty of care a lot. Maybe I dropped the ball. I think we should define what duty of care actually means. I love using an analogy for that. So duty of care would be an obvious one. Like if you go to a grocery store, I love that example. So grocery store, uh, somebody spills something and you slip and fall, right? A slip and fall, very easy stuff. So there's insurance for this. Premises liability law. If you guys want to look this up, premises liability law. Every retail operation, every public accommodation has this. 
So then one of the th- investigations is that was going to happen is if it goes further, because usually they just pay you, but what happens is the employers are going to be interviewed and in question as to whether or not there's training to deal with that situation, which there should be. So there should be training. There should also be insurance and there should also be equipment and procedures that would come into place and that the employee should already be familiar with that. So the only defense would be um, we were in the process of cleaning that up and putting out the signs for there being a wet floor when the person slipped and fell. That would be the only defense. So there, there is a duty of care, which we're all familiar with. The thing that you have control over on the premises of your property, you're responsible for controlling so that you don't, so someone doesn't get hurt by chance. Like uh, I, I've even seen cases where there's like the metal shelving where someone walks by and gets cut. Well, then the stores are responsible because that metal shelving, they should have fixed it. They should, they, whatever that whatever that was, uh, even if it was innocent, they're still liable. But there's another aspect of this, which is called the the doctrine of assumption of risk. Now that is codified in every state in different versions. Like Ohio is called the open and obvious law. Uh, they have different versions like comparative fault, things like that. But in there, it's expressly stated that no one is responsible, no business is liable to protect others from a risk that's widely known in the community or at least believed to exist. This is why there's no duty of care. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe I should have done this up front. Exactly what kinds of, sir, if you, do you have a list of services that you provide where you, I mean, you, you've talked about being an arbiter at the hospital, helping set up businesses in a certain way, protecting people in general. Um, is there, is there a, a list of what you provide for people somewhere? Yes. It's, it's at the Zunga, the Zunga.com. And we have intake there. So there's some videos and most of our, most of our cases right now are employment and business owners. But that we do handle all kinds of things that you may not see, um, like the, the phone calls and things like that. We have people that they're advocates and they deal with this. Um, another thing we do is people that are being fired from their job. We, sometimes we, we can't stop them from being fired all the time. So what we do is show them how to supplement their income. So there's so some training that we, we do. Uh, so yeah, it's anything that there's an adverse consequence resulting from this, this fake pandemic. We're, we're uh, trained to deal with that. All right. John, we're getting ready to take a break from hour one and prep up for hour two. Can you tell everyone one more time where they can find you and maybe briefly outline what it is you do? I think the website's going to be key here. If you choose to give out an email in hour one, pretty sure you're going to get bombarded. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do that. I'll give my email. My, my team answers the email, so it's not just me. Perfect. So I got help there. Okay, the website is thezunga.com. Spelled T H E Z U N G A dot com. The email address is john at the And I'm not the only one that answers that. So you'll get help there. So basically, let me sum up. If someone's getting their rights violated related to the world we now exist in, whether it be a hospital, a business, or just trying to get services, uh, it would be a play, uh, it would be your website they could call to try to find help and remedy. That's correct. Yes. Okay. All right, folks, that is it for hour one. And I'll ask again, how is it that we could have come two years with so few people standing up of the core of people that I hang out and know regularly? And I'm probably not a good example, as Jason will tell you, it's not like I have a thousand people that I'm good friends with. Uh, The point is, is that almost all of them refuse to wear a mask. That one thing could have contingently changed so much if the majority of people would have said, what are you doing? We're not doing that. And think of the children. Uh, It blows my mind every time I think of the children. And I can't tell you how many times I almost locked up the brakes on my car and pulled over and screamed at the top of my lungs. How the hell are those children playing soccer when they can't breathe? But this is the world we've come to. And I'm more than happy to have people like John J. Singleton on to show people the way it really could be. Anyhow, that's hour one of episode 398. The first hour will be free at crow777radio.com. Members will know to log in and I hope to see you all for the full episode as members. By the way, all members now get free access to our two-hour film, Shoot the Moon, that Jason created based on the five-plus years work of Dan Knight telescopic filming I did. Uh, It's now won nine awards. Again, if you subscribe for a single month, you get access to the full feature movie. Nine awards. It's pretty cool. Anyhow, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
Is the enemy of knowing. Go! 